Welcome back, everyone. And if it works for you to have your um, your video on so I and others could see you, that would be great. Uh, if there is a bandwidth issue, of course, uh, not necessary. So welcome back. I want to continue the exploration that I began, I think, at the actually at the... Uh, end of June on the theme of deepening daily life practice. And this would be our third session on that theme. In the, in the first session, I gave an overview about some of the reasons why daily life practice is challenging. And then I particularly focused on a, a foundational capacity for daily life practice, which is mindfulness of the body. And I've tried to continue uh, with that theme in all the uh, ensuing uh, sessions, in, in, in all of the sessions. And then in the uh, second session, we particularly looked at how to practice with reactivity. And this is where we brought in the attention to the pleasant, to the unpleasant, and saw how when we're not mindful of pleasant or unpleasant, we will tend to um, simply react by grabbing hold or pushing away. And I went into some of the complexities of that. So what I want to do today is to do a brief review of what we've already covered, in particular uh, those two sessions, and then take us further by looking into more depth on some of the characteristic forms of reactivity. And I'll do that by presenting and exploring quite a powerful and uh, wonderful teaching called the Teaching of the Eight Worldly Winds. That's how it's usually translated, or we could say the Eight Winds. And these are the, uh, the ways that we typically can become reactive when these situations occur. And these are, I'll, I'll go into these in, um, in depth uh, uh, in a moment, but though just to name them, the eight winds are uh, the winds that blow us around, that keep us a little bit off-center or confused or reactive. Uh, and the winds are pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, or we might say a good image of ourselves or a bad image. And then lastly, praise and blame. That when we experience these, we get blown around. And so uh, that's, that's what we'll explore how to practice with these, and how in particular to practice with these in daily life. That these are, if we look out for these wins in daily life and then have skillful responses to these, daily life practice can really come alive. You know, that because it's really seeing some of the challenging aspects of life, of practice, and how to be skillful with them. And again, I would say that this is more of a intermediate or advanced practice that, you know, often we, uh, you know, our initial practice may just be to develop some stability of mind, some ability to see our habits, to uh, gain some familiarity with our own minds. Now, so um, that's, that's what I'll, we'll explore, we'll, and I'll be inviting people to practice with this model of the eight winds uh, during the next week, if you so choose. Your call. Okay. So, so first, uh, a review. You know, I started uh, when I brought up this theme of deepening daily life practice, I mentioned that... Uh, an emphasis in the insight meditation approach as it's developed in the Western world, and I think probably in other places as well, 
has been very much on formal meditation and on retreats. And so people might even ask each other, how is your practice going? And so one might answer, it's going really well. I'm doing 20 minutes a day. And that's important. But when we talk like that, we can sometimes forget that the emphasis, of course, is on our entire lives. And so that emphasis on uh, the formal meditation practice is a very good starting place, just as many of us get introduced to going more deeply by doing retreats, whether they're one day or three days or seven days or whatever. And yet, uh, often when we teach those, we can take people quite wonderfully deep in a week or even a longer time, but we, I think, haven't quite found out the way to really emphasize uh, daily life practice. People are experimenting with different support structures and forms, and there are a lot of great ideas. But to some extent, this still remains something uh, challenging. You know, we can have a nice retreat. You know, how many of you have done retreats and then come home and remembered three days ago, where was that retreat? <laughs> how was that influence? How many of you had, had experiences like that? You can raise your hand if that's true. Something like that. So focusing on daily life is really, really crucial. And there also, in addition to a lack of um, real, a real deep focus on that topic, there are also a lot of challenges that just come from the complexity and speed of contemporary life. You know, that, you know, the busyness that many people have. How many people find themselves busy at times? Really busy, <laughs> right? And uh, I even, you know, I even meet people who are retired and they say, I don't understand why I'm so busy. And something maybe it is, is very much in the culture, right? There are a lot of, a lot of reasons for this. So there's busyness, there's the complexity of uh, our lives. And, and yet, um, having that focus on daily life practice is really, really crucial. And because, of course, um, our daily lives are where we live. If we only have peace, understanding, love, and equanimity when we're doing formal meditation, there are some limits, <laughs> right? And, and so the focus of this series is really to help us to strengthen, deepen uh, our daily life practice. And I'm giving a lot of focus to some foundational areas. I just want to mention that there are a number of ways that we might deepen our practice that so far I haven't given a lot of attention to. And in fact, uh, you know, uh, once I taught and I, all I did in a talk was I named 50 different ways to deepen daily life practice, which I haven't done here. 50 different ways. And I said, I gave people 50 different ways and I said, listen out for the one or two that speak to you and follow those, right? And so what we really need is to say, is to listen and say, what really calls me right now? And so I'll just name a few that are very fundamental that I'm not going into depth on that are, that are good to remember. And these would be uh, such areas as just having, if we don't have right now, a regular daily formal practice when we, where we do 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, or, and it might be to have that be more regular that would make a big impact on daily life practice. Or if you have a regular uh, one time a day practice, maybe bring in a second practice another time of the day, have it be 15 minutes. That will make a difference, right? And do if you do that every day. Or it could be having a good friend who you check in with uh, once or twice a week, or maybe every day, or a partner that you... Uh, that you bring in your practice with regularly and you talk about you talk about practice. You talk with each other and you can ask your practice your partner, are you aware? 
Are you mindful? You have to be careful here with not being obnoxious, but maybe we'll get back to that in the discussion period. So, um, but all sorts of ways, having a friend, partner, family member with whom you check in, who, because we, we often say that in, in many ways, uh, mindfulness and the practice isn't difficult, but remembering to be mindful, very difficult, right? So remembering is a big part of it. So could mean, you know, do things that help you remember. You know, uh, in ancient traditions, artwork was designed often to help people remember. Have artwork, put something on your refrigerator, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, to help you remember. Of course, being with a regular group like our group here can really be helpful, right? Hearing talks, uh, being reminded, doing something once a week, you know, with, with uh, Zoom now, if you wanted to, you could do something every day, right? And that could be, I, I remember when I was first meditating, I was a, a graduate student and I lived in Boston and I uh, loved going to groups. Uh, I, I went to a group almost every evening because I would go to different groups and, you know, didn't necessarily need to agree with everyone, but I would go to one group on Monday, another on Tuesday, another on Thursday. And I would just, you know, for, you know, we'd meditate together. Maybe there'd be a talk, a discussion. And, you know, doing that really strengthened my, uh, my um, practice and my, my motivation. So, a group is really crucial. It could be working with a teacher or a teaching. Um, you know, a big part of uh, practice is helping just uh, us to remember. And one way to do that is finding one or two times during the day where you pause maybe for five or ten minutes. It could be that you have a, a routine where you take a walk um, once or twice a day. I, you know, I... Uh, I have my sort of exercise, so to speak, uh, is uh, on Sundays, uh, I take walks. I take two 15-minute walks a day, and those can, those can be time just for awareness, right? And other days, I go swimming. You know, our, our pools have been open in where I live for uh, about 10 months, and now they're quite open. That used to be that you to get you have to get a reservation for the swimming pool. It was very, very competitive. You had to get on the computer and be precise within 15 or 20 seconds where you didn't get a spot. <laughs> and so, you know, people were developing all these strategies like having multiple devices all coordinated and anyway. But um, but now it's opened up a little more so it's not so competitive. But anyway, I have uh, my my swimming is also a form of practice. I probably have mentioned I do loving-kindness practice when I do uh, swimming. I do uh, one person per lap. <laughs> you know, one person per lap get, gets loving-kindness, you know. And, uh, you know, when I go through, I go through 16 beings, you know, because uh, I like, you know, I have a whole, and then I go back to the, and I repeat the 16 because I do, I kind of do eight at a time and then I stop. I have, anyway, it's a whole routine. So finding routines where you, where you find chances for practice is another way. And then I, I also focused on how central uh, mindfulness of the body is. Really, really crucial. And uh, that, you know, for some of us, that could be the entire emphasis. And that would really help. Keep on developing mindfulness of the body in your meditation, as we do when we're aware of the breath, or you could be aware of your whole body during the meditation, and then bring that into taking walks, bring awareness of the body and the senses into maybe cooking or washing dishes, especially activities where you don't have to think very much, doing manual labor, maybe gardening, or, or um, you know, if, if you work, if you work, um, doing manual labor, that can often be really, really helpful, you know. Um, and so mindfulness of the body is so central, particularly in a culture which is often very cognitive. So that can be really, really, uh, that can be really, really crucial. Uh, again, different ways, 
of doing that. Maybe you do yoga every day and you say, for my yoga session, I'm really going to focus on just being aware of my body, you know. I've been, I've been sometimes in yoga classes and I n notice myself sometimes being competitive with other yoga students. Anyone ever experienced that? <laughs> right, being competitive. So you're not being mindful of the body. You're thinking, is my pose, does my pose look cool, you know, or whatever, right? Do mindfulness of the body instead, right? So there, there you go. Uh, you know, do, you know, do, just find ways when you're doing something physical, don't have to do much thinking. Because what we're looking for are ways to bring in, to deepen daily life practice where it's easiest. You know, we start with the easier and then we move to the more difficult, right? And so maybe taking a walk is easier. Maybe being mindful of the body with the dishes is easier. Being mindful of the body at the computer is way harder for most of us, right? That's not as that's way harder. And there you know, maybe for some of us being mindful when we're talking or listening is harder, right? And so go for the ones that are easiest first. That's a strategy for deepening daily life practice. And then we looked uh, last time also at another really fundamental theme, which in a way will continue today, which is looking at times when there's reactivity as starting points for practice. And this can be quite powerful. Again, as I mentioned, it's not a beginning practice. It takes some degree of stability of mind at times and some degree of maturity to be interested in when we get reactive. And remember, I'm using reactive to refer both to when we grasp and when we push away. You know, I'll go back. Let's go to that uh, first slide, uh, Tolan. I'll just review very briefly the basic model which we have uh, in the original teachings of the Buddha and the teachings on dependent origination. And I'll be just very brief with this. Um, it basically says with every experience, there is some contact with one of the senses. In other words, we see something, we hear something uh, in, in this approach, thinking is also called one of the senses. So we think something, we smell something, we hear something, and so forth. This is pretty neutral so far. Then it leads with every experience, every experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, thinking, it's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Virtually all of our experiences come in the neutral zone, but there's some which are pleasant or unpleasant, which we're particularly interested in. Generally, it's said that when we have a pleasant experience, maybe think of I um, eat, uh, I take a bite of a piece of cake and I have a pleasant experience. When I'm not being mindful and when I have habits around this, there will tend to be craving or wanting for the pleasant experience. And so that might surface um, as me thinking, oh, I'd really like another piece of cake. And maybe thinking, oh, but aren't I on a diet? Or aren't I trying to be careful with sugar? Or whatever we think. And so it might be an internal debate. Uh, but the, the wanting may be there. And with something unpleasant, Let's say I'm meditating and I have an unpleasant experience in my back. And this might lead me to have the sense of not wanting. I don't want this to be here anymore. And this will tend to lead, again, if we're not mindful, not aware, to the pleasant will lead to craving or wanting, and then will lead to grasping. So maybe, if again, if I'm not aware, I will simply grab hold of that second piece of cake. And if I'm not aware, I will uh, not want and then push away that unpleasant experience. And I'll just shift my posture without being mindful. And so you can let go of the slide now. And so this is, the, this is the basic model. And of course, sometimes we go from contact to grasping in just a split second, right? You know, someone says something to me. 
which I don't like. Someone says something which, you know, instantly I just react back with a negative comment to that person, right? So sometimes that movement from contact to grasping or contact to pushing away happens like bam, bam, right? Just instantly, almost automatically, habitually. Sometimes we have some time to reflect, right? And I looked into that last time, and I also added that there's a complication here. This is, um, the complication is that sometimes, uh, or let me, let me back up. This teaching is pointing us to look at the sequence from contact to grasping or pushing away. It's not saying that we should never go for that second piece of cake. But it's really asking it to be a question more of mindfulness and wisdom, which doesn't have to take a long time. And so same thing with, you know, I have an unpleasant sensation in my back when I'm meditating. It's not saying never move, stay and just absorb all the unpleasant experiences. It's, so it's not so much about what we do or don't do, but it's about is my response, or another way to say it, am I responding with mindfulness and wisdom, or am I just reacting habitually without mindfulness? That's generally what we're, that's generally the aim here. And what makes it also complicated is that sometimes someone may say something, um, or, or the example I think I've, I've given is, let's say that someone uh, at work didn't keep an agreement yesterday, and I start getting very reactive about that. The aim here is not to just be non-reactive, let it go, not deal with it, but the aim is to respond skillfully rather than reactively. So in this instance, it would actually be quite important to respond skillfully to something important, which is that the person didn't keep the agreement, right? So we're not letting go of that. What Another way to say this is that often grasping or pushing away, which I'm calling two forms of reactivity, are caught up with something that could be valuable, helpful, an insight, and so forth. That makes this all more tricky, right? Right? Because, uh, so what I'm looking for is to be responsive rather than reactive. Now, two forms of reactivity, grabbing hold, pushing away, but it doesn't dictate what we do, right? That's a really crucial point. You know, so I can, you know, I can notice something that wasn't right, you know, in my community, right? Some, maybe some lack of fairness or lack of justice. I can get really reactive about that, which I think is, is problematic. But what I want to do is to work with the reactivity so I can be with the situation and be responsive and be skillful in, in my response. So really, really crucial point here, because and I think not, not always made clear, but a really crucial point. I, I think that really became clear to me when I was spending... Um, a lot of time, actually, before I started doing a lot of this more general Dharma teaching, I was involved more with what we would call socially engaged practice with the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. And, you know, it was a big issue. How do we work out that issue, you know, of, of um, you know, how do you work with anger? How do you work with uh, reactivity about something that's not right or not just and whatever? And how do you do that? And it took some time, but the, the answer was really that to distinguish between being reactive and being responsive. So that's ultimately the aim of our practice. It's to be responsive. It doesn't mean just uh, saying whatever, anything goes, right? And it still means standing up for what's right and standing up for yourself, but doing so uh, by having worked with the reactivity. Another way to say this is that something valuable or valid or intelligent can get mixed in with the reactivity. 
and we have to separate out the two. That's what we do in our practice. Right? So that's kind of the, the formula. So the, um, the model that I wanted to talk about uh, today is, uh, gives a very nice uh, model. And this is uh, you know, from the teachings of the Buddha from 2,600 years ago. This gives a model of distinguishing what we might call um, eight different forms of reactivity. Right? And it really is helpful because it gives us uh, uh, some pointers to look at situations that will tend to create reactivity. Don't necessarily create reactivity or lead to reactivity, but they will tend to. Let's go with slide number two now. This is uh, the teaching called the Eight Worldly Winds or, or Dhammas. The, uh, the term is actually, uh, uh, and you can see the translation, the first part is, you know, atta is eight. Loka is the word for world. And then dhamma is a word that's used in multiple ways. Some of you know we talk about the whole teachings of the dhamma or the dharma. But here it means more conditions. So these are the eight, sometimes translated as the eight worldly conditions. And winds is not a literal translation, but it captures some of the spirit of it. And I, I think this comes more from the Tibetan tradition, the, the notion of winds, because we get blown around by these uh, conditions. So here are eight conditions, which in themselves don't necessarily lead to reactivity, but very often do. And I'll go through each of these, and we can have a discussion. The, and they come in two sets. One is some, the first is always something positive. The second is something more negative. Pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, or we could call that having a good image of ourselves or a bad image of ourselves out there. And related to that, praise and blame. So these are the eight. We probably could add a number of these and have, instead of the eight worldly wins, we could have the 56 worldly wins. If we had, we were really comprehensive, but eight is a good number to start with. And I'll just show uh, uh, the text where this comes from, just part of the reading. Let's go down. Uh, we can. This is from the Buddha, so we can go down just a little bit further. Uh, so yeah. So gain and loss. A little bit different translation here. Gain and loss. Status and disgrace. Censure and praise. Pleasure and pain, these conditions among human beings are in constant impermanent subject to change. Knowing this, the wise person, mindful, ponders these changing conditions. Desirable things don't charm the mind, in other words, lead to grasping. Undesirable ones bring no resistance, in other words, no pushing away. Again, we want to understand this. This doesn't mean that we don't respond skillfully. So... Let's go back up to the eight again, just to see these again. These are the eight that I'll, I'll explore, and then I'll be inviting us to look for in the next week in our experience. Okay? Pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, uh, praise and blame. So let's let go of the slide now. So the question is, how do we bring mindfulness to these eight factors? And how do we, you know, the teaching is really saying, look carefully when these arise, because these are prime situations for us becoming reactive, right? And these are also not easy situations for us to respond to. In other words, these are challenging. But the naming of them means look out for these. And this can be a wonderful way to, to practice. Again, not, not a beginning practice for most of us, but if we have a certain level of stability and experience, these can really be, be quite wonderful. So I pretty much have covered the, the first set of pleasant and unpleasant. But we can really um, use this, you know, use... Uh, this first set 
really you could uh, you could look for this in meditation much like we did in the guided practice say let me really be on the lookout for any moderate or greater sense of pleasant or unpleasant and the invitation is just to look for what my experience is partly it's to be with the pleasant and just notice what the experience of the pleasant is you know, you, uh, you know, a good, really great place for this is with food. Just sit and be with something that you really like to eat. This, 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 um, you are now being invited as part of your spiritual practice to eat foods which bring pleasure. Okay? Anyone interested in that? Okay. okay. Very good. You could also, you know, bring other experiences um, which bring pleasure into your life further, you know, uh, with the interest. And you can, and one of the things that you do this with a meal, it really invites a kind of slowing down. We, we often eat quickly, slow down, taste something pleasant, and just hang out with the experience of what's pleasant. Notice what that experience is like. Also notice whether there are tendencies coming out of that experience of pleasant to grasp. It could be to want more. It could be you know, I got to get the recipe for that cake or whatever it is, right? Uh, and again, all forms of grasping aren't just all entirely negative. We're just looking, we want to, but we want to notice the mechanisms, right? We want to notice how this works. And part of bringing attention to the pleasant and unpleasant is we can see how when we're not mindful, these are very habitual tendencies, which we, uh, which we, find ourselves in a lot, we usually notice the reactions to the unpleasant more easily. But we can also, with unpleasant experiences, say, let me just notice what that experience is like. What is that experience of the unpleasant? You can notice that in meditation. If you're a little bit sore in your back, notice what that's like. Any person who's done a retreat has hung out a lot with uh, unpleasant experiences. And our general guidance is, with unpleasant experiences in the body, be with those experiences when you are pretty clear that, you know, this, these are not harming your body. And when they're in the kind of workable range, when it's not too much. So when there's just something where your back is a little bit uncomfortable, you know it's not going to cause you harm, it's okay to sit with it for five or ten minutes. It's in the moderate range. Then you can look, what's the unpleasant, what's the experience of the unpleasant? And one of the most important types of uh, meditative experience is hanging out with the pleasant or the unpleasant. There's so much learning that's possible because we, we see in many ways how many of us are really driven by comfort, by wanting comfort. You know, and there's a lot of learning that can take place. I, I learned so much, you know, especially early on particularly being at retreats and just hanging out a fair amount of the time, particularly with what was unpleasant. But then I would eat, you know, my meals, I would eat really, really slowly and just really experience the pleasant, you know. Luckily, I come from a family of slow eaters. So especially my father, really slow eater. He was famous in the family for being a slow eater. And so I had, I had some, what, some um, background. And so I would do retreats. I'd eat really slowly and just experience the pleasant, you know. And I would uh, anyway. These are these are some ways to explore. And we're we're really what we're interested in is especially seeing the mechanisms of reactivity, and then finding ways. What would it take to be non-reactive in those situations? both with just an unpleasant sensation in my back or with a pleasant experience of uh, my, my lunch. Let me just explore that. So that's what, we're, that's what we want to do, to really just be mindful. What's the experience? When does reactivity arise? If I'm mindful of reactivity, does it come and go? That's, that's what we'll typically find. We'll be mindful of reactivity. It'll happen. We'll stay with it for a while. It'll... It'll end. It'll dry up a little bit. Very, very interesting, right? Or sometimes I can uh, 
notice maybe again that example my coworker didn't keep an agreement I get really uh, I, I notice myself getting angry and judgmental I stay with it that experience in my body I stay with it notice it and I um, notice how it feels and I notice you know I notice it changing some I notice the anger changing maybe to sadness you know or maybe I get away from my initial reactivity and I even notice myself going to some empathy. I wonder what was happening for my coworker. Maybe something difficult came up in my coworker's life or who knows, right? So we stay with it. Maybe we notice some compassion arising or something like that, right? So, or we notice it changing. <clears throat> the second set that we want to look at is gain and loss. And this is maybe happening on a larger scale uh, where, uh, you know, not so much necessarily moment-to-moment -moment experience, but we have something, a kind of a gain or a loss in our life, whether large or small. And particularly, we want to look at the, the smaller or moderate level losses. You know, what might there, what might there be if I didn't get something that I wanted to happen or if I or if I I break something at home right notice what your experience is like when you know maybe you break a dish you know do you blame yourself do you blame someone else or maybe your a family member breaks your favorite dish what happens do you become reactive just explore that you know explore what loss is like, explore what gain is like. You know, you, I don't know, you get a, you get a raise at work. Yeah. You get two raises at work. Wonderful. <laughs> or you have other, other kinds of, uh, of gains, you know, maybe uh, just something small, you know, like uh, I was, I don't know, maybe your, your neighbor who has a really productive fruit tree right now comes over and gives you um, 10 plums. That's a kind of a gain. Notice what it's like. Notice what your experience is like, right? And especially we're being invited to notice what that experience is like, first of all. But then secondly, notice if there are tendencies with either the gain or loss to reactivity, right? Notice whether there's a tendency with the loss to blame oneself, blame someone else, become reactive in some way, notice whether something similar happens with the gain. Again, this is all just saying pleasure and pain, gain and loss, just part of human life. But these will tend, if we're not aware, to lead to reactivity. That's why these are being pointed out, right? And we can just, uh, just notice, notice these experiences, notice what's... Uh, Notice how we relate to, uh, you know, something positive happening or something negative happening. One story which I really remember is kind of a gain or loss story. It's someone who was uh, one of my early mentors. Some of you may know someone named Larry, a teacher named Larry Rosenberg. Anyone know Larry? Anyone? Larry uh, uh, founded the Cambridge, Massachusetts Insight Meditation Society. Uh, and he was a, he was an early mentor of mine when I lived in the Boston area, and um, Larry formerly uh, was a, a student of the Korean Zen teacher Sun Sinim. And once he was asked to teach a Zen retreat, and he was living at the time at the Cambridge Zen Center, and he was invited to teach this retreat, and it was happening right after Christmas. At that time, uh, the people in the Zen Center were mostly, uh, mostly all went home to visit with their families. And Larry was left alone in the Zen Center, and no one signed up for the retreat. Larry went to the teacher. This is kind of a, could be called a loss, could be called a gain. Oh, I got, I have five days free now, or it could be called a loss. Oh, no one, no one wants my teaching, uh, right? And Larry went to the, uh, his teacher and he said, I guess we cancel the retreat. And his teacher said, um, I want you to teach it. It was actually going to be a teaching about gain and loss. But he said, I want you to teach it. 
And he says, I want you to give all of the talks. And I want you to be there for all of the, all of the sessions. I want you to do, in Zen, they do a lot of bowing and so forth. I want you to do all the bowing. And Larry couldn't believe it at first, but then he saw that his teacher was serious. And he taught the retreat for five days with no one there but himself. And he said that at first he felt really, really stupid. But then there was something that grew for him, that there was some, there was some kind of dignity of basically saying, I will stay steady, whatever happens. I will keep an inner steadiness, whether there's gain, whether there's loss, whether no one comes, whether there are three people who come. And he told me that later, as he, you know, he did more and more teaching, sometimes teachers will talk with each other, and this could be the counterpart in all sorts of life. They would talk to each other and they will say, how was the retreat? And we'll say, oh, you know, it was a full retreat. You know, um, we had a full retreat of 80 people at Spirit Rock. Oh, great, full retreat. Wonderful. You know, and then how was the retreat? Oh, yeah, we had, um, we had uh, 13 people come. Uh, oh, not so many people, huh? You know, and people get into that kind of discussion. Kind of all about gain and loss. And Larry said, after that experience, teaching the retreat, after no one came, he said, I didn't have those kind of things going on in my mind. You know, gain and loss and all this stuff. I was, there was an inner steadiness that came out of that experience. That's what we're looking for with all of this. We're looking for kind of an inner steadiness, a kind of equanimity and inner balance. But it only comes by hanging out with these eight worldly winds. It doesn't come just by wanting them this to happen. It comes by hanging out and being knocked around by the winds, studying it, exploring it, being knocked around, getting off balance, but coming back to balance. That's how the learning occurs. So we need a lot of patience and sort of endurance for this. We need to hang out with the eight worldly winds over and over again and just keep learning, keep exploring. The third of the sets is fame and disrepute, or having a good image of ourselves or a bad image, right? Watching how this knocks us around, you know, how, how much we do things to please other people, right? Probably many of us have, have I don't know, has anyone been following the Olympics? You know, follow what happened, you know, what came with just now with uh, the great um, Olympic gymnast uh, Simone Manuel, right? And she basically, you know, had a lot of clarity. And she said, I've just been trying to please people too much. And now she was going through a hard time. And she said, I have to take care of myself, right? So she was working with one of these eight worldly winds about, you know, and again, for someone in the public eye, it must be massive, right? How do I appear in the public eye? Right? How do I look? How do, what do people think of me? What's the image they have of me? Is it good or bad? You know? Um, and she made a decision, which was probably, which was very hard to say, I am, you know, going to move away from having please, uh, pleasing others be first. Right? A lot of courage it took, you know, and a lot of, you know, a lot of other athletes in the last, particularly in the last year has sort of braved the trail, you know, of, of, you know, valuing their own mental, emotional, spiritual uh, well-being, right? So that would be, an, a, you know, a big example, but we can see that in our own experience. You know, I could see, you know, when I was first being a teacher, I remember, you know, when I was first teaching at Spirit Rock, which was about 20 years ago, I was quite concerned about how people would think my talk was. Right. And I would that would be very much on my mind. How is my talk? You know, and I, I, I saw my growing maturity being um, really represented by my motivation. Was my motivation to have people think I gave a good talk or was it really to be helpful? Right. And, you know, and I could see that changing over time, you know, and we can, you know, each think of places where 
you know, we maybe do something to create an image. How many people can easily think of thing part-times in your own life when you either want to create an image or you get really bothered when someone, maybe a friend, has, you know, maybe fairly or unfairly has a negative image of you, right? Those things happen all the time, right? And so what the invitation is with this naming of these is to take these as a starting point for practice. Not easy, right? Because when someone maybe says something negative, you know, we want to defend ourselves. It's not easy practice, you know. Uh, you know, how many of us have had other people uh, who we thought were our friends say something negative about us behind our backs, right? I think we've all had that. Those are difficult experiences, right? You know, and complex and how, how we respond. Could I, you know, do I get to the point where I do what I can that's skillful and sort of let the rest go, right? Out of my control. Not easy, right? Not easy, right? I think all of us have had those kind of experiences. I certainly have, right? Especially being, you know, being being in a teacher role, these things sometimes happen. Right? Thing, things happen like this. So again, the practice is try to have your radar, maybe at the, you know, at the beginning of a week, try to look out for, maybe we look out for all eight of these, maybe you just focus on two of them. You know, the ones that are the most significant for you. And if they occur, try to be aware of, the, of what the experience is. You can also sometimes, in the meditation, deliberately bring up a memory of maybe someone saying something negative about you to see what it's like in terms of your inexperience. Be mindful. Do this at the end of a sitting and be mindful. Notice what's there. And again, we're looking both for the inner exploration and for the skillful outer response. We want both, right? We want both of those. And then the last one of these, and we can come back and come back and look at these. The last of these may be one of the most powerful ones. Praise and blame. It's connected, pretty connected with the last one, you know, image of ourselves. What happens when you get praise? What happens when you get blame? You know, how do we work with those? Very related to what we were just exploring. And again, we could, um, we can, we can look at these. I, you know, I remember that they, they can sometimes just override everything. You know, I, re I remember a cartoon, which I sometimes share, which, um, which shows uh, a woman in the cartoon getting all sorts of compliments from a friend. And the woman is thinking to herself, don't patronize me, right? And we have all sorts of things to look at, right? How many of us have a difficult time uh, taking in people saying good things about us. Anyone relate to that one? Right? I think a lot of us do, right? And then how many, you know, where sometimes this is connected with what we some, you know, the neuroscientists call the negativity bias, right? How do, how do they say it? Um, we're like Teflon for praise and Velcro for blame, <laughs> right? Is that familiar? Anyone is that familiar? We, we, we go there. I remember I once was uh, organizing a, a summer, a seven-day summer institute with the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. And midway through, we had about 100 people who came. Good numbers, you know, good numbers. And, um, and then halfway through, we, we wanted to do a, uh, a survey just to see how it was going. We had about 100 people give feedback. For 95 of them, it was going really, really well. About four or five people had some criticisms. All of us on the planning committee, we right into the criticisms. That's what we totally focused on. It was pretty, you know, in retrospect, it was kind of funny, but that's what we did, right? Is that familiar? That's, that's what we did. So here again, we want to notice these tendencies Again, we can you know, use, again, we want to notice them when we come up, when they come up in our practice. Some of them we can bring up deliberately, maybe at the end of a meditation, to explore them. We want to have the intention to look at these, um, look at these in the daily flow. So maybe in the morning, set your intention. I'm really going to 
try to set my radar, so to speak, for these eight worldly winds. Or maybe we just focused on one or two of them, or one or two of the sets. And so this is, uh, this is what I'm inviting as our practice for the next period of time. So let's take a moment right now. I'll end with two things. One is first to invite uh, reflection. Let's do some silent reflection. First of all, how many of you would like to look at these uh, eight worldly winds in the next in the next week? You can raise your hand. Okay, great. Um, and so, just take a few moments. What? How? How might I make this come alive for myself? What's going to help me to remember? Do I do some remembering in the morning or two or three times a day? What will help me remember? and have this practice be alive. Just take a little bit of silent time now. Thank you. And we'll have the, um, I'll put the talk from today and the uh, guided meditation, I'll put that on Dharma Seed. And you can find that either under Wednesday Talks or under my name under Teacher. Right, and that'll be, I'll do that uh, late, just, uh, you know, hope to do it just in a few hours. So we'll get that up, that you can work with that. And then I'll, I'll end with a, a poem. I think last time I ended with a poem by Rumi. I'll end with one that probably many of you know. It's called The Guest House. And it really is about just really being with everything and uh, including these eight worldly winds. This is uh, Rumi from, I think what it would be, the, is it the, what, what century, 11th or 12th century. This being human is a guest house. From morning, every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, a momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. That guest may be cleaning you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So thank you for your kind attention. We have some time now. If you'd like to uh, share something, ask a question, uh, yeah, something related to our our theme, something that's come up in your practice. Um, you can use the raised hand function. Also possibly, I think that's the preference, but if you if you want to do a chat to Toland, she could read the, a comment or question too. So we have Leslie first. Hi, my name's Leslie. I'll keep my video off. I'm actually camping in Christopher Creek, Arizona. Wow. And it's so, so amazing to be able to sit and look at the river and hear a Dharma talk. It's just crazy but I, i'll make try to make this short i um really related to the the story about the man never without the people showing up because in the beginning of my practice like 10 years ago i i was helping doing a doing a leading a meeting at a shambhala center and only one person showed up for like five years <laughs> just me and just me and my friend alex and that was the best teaching because i was thinking about oh, doing another one with teenagers and I was like well if nobody shows up that's all right you know it's no big deal so it just really helped me cement my practice everyone else kind of dropped off all the other girls on the Monday night you know nobody came <laughs> anytime they dropped off and I just kept showing up and kept showing up so I just really really love that and to remind myself that it's okay if nobody shows up because I'm there to cement my practice and you know, yeah, I just really loved it. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Leslie. Yeah, thanks for the stories. It's uh, 
Now, in, in retrospect, these are funny. At the moment, they aren't always so funny, right? <laughs> so it's great to look at these just to, uh, yeah, just to uh, see how these appear in our own experience. Um, yeah, please, other sharing, other questions of any kind? Uh, Claire, please. Hi, thank you so much uh, for your teaching. And something that I've noticed lately um, in terms of pleasure and grasping um, is that it's summertime and I, I live in Wisconsin and we have kind of bad winters and um, I love summer. I was on vacation, get to do all these fun activities, and I just don't want it to end, and I have a hard time accepting the impermanent nature and just the change. Um, so it's something I'm working with, um, just trying to enjoy the moment as it is, and knowing that, um, you know, there'll be a summer next year as well. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Great, uh, thank you, Claire. It's great, great to name that. Such a, such a good example, isn't it? Really, just uh, you know, something just uh, the natural cycle of things. You know, we like some parts of it and we don't like others, and we think that and we grasp on, even though we know, um, you know, your grasping is not going to keep summer there in Wisconsin in November. <laughs> it's it's li unlikely to happen. <laughs> You know, I, I won't get into global warming and so forth. That's another issue. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, very interesting, you know, to just to notice that in relation to the changing seasons or just a lot of things which are kind of givens, but we may find ourselves grasping. And just, yeah, to take those as entry points. And, you know, I, I didn't make too much of it, but in the in the actual text by the Buddha, he actually, one of the counsels he gives is to really study impermanence in terms of the of these eight worldly winds, because they come and go, right? Pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, uh, praise and blame, they keep coming and going, right? And, you know, none of them will last. And so, uh, the you know, what's being invited is this uh, kind of deep uh, equanimity and balance that can be with everything. Again, this is not at all to say we don't act. You know, you might, you know, I think, you know, and is it grasping if you say, I really want to take advantage of the summer by being outside and going camping as much as I can? How much of that is grasping? How much of that is just wisdom, right? So, uh, you know, so where is, so it's interesting to see where is their grasping and where is their skillful response, right? That's, that's an interesting question, right? So... <clears throat> yeah, but but that counsel to really uh, look at impermanence, study it, you know, get to know it, because that's that's what's being pointed to. That we can when we only can be really have a balance and equanimity when I can be really fully present to this whole range of experiences, including the pleasant ones without grasping and the unpleasant ones without pushing away. Not easy. Great. Looks like uh, Carolyn, please. I just had an aha moment, an epiphany. Yeah. Um, when you or another leader asks for questions from the group, if no one answers quick enough for me, I want to put my hand up and I didn't, and I want to say something because it's unpleasant for me to sit there with nobody saying anything. And... I thought about it while I was waiting for you to respond to me. And it's like, I'm a teacher of sorts. I would feel uncomfortable if nobody responded to me. So I don't want you to feel bad. Hmm. And that's, that's, that's a good thing for me to know. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful inquiry, Carolyn. Uh, yeah, because really, so it's really seeing how much of that uh, 
how much of these eight worldly winds involves me maybe wanting to take care of another person, not knowing, you know, you know, for all you know, I could be, uh, you know, when, when there didn't seem to be a whole lot of people with raised hands, you might have thought I was just starting to, you know, get really, really nervous and wonder, you know, wonder about the efficacy of my teaching and it could get really bad. And, um, or maybe, maybe not. <clears throat> so, but thank you. But, but the main thing is that you were inquiring into an unpleasant experience in your, that you were having and just exploring that and then sharing it with people, which is great. You know, thank you so much. So out of an unpleasant experience, maybe you created a pleasant experience. Oh. <laughs> okay, uh, Anna, please. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing your name right, Anna? Yes, you are. Yeah, thank you. Um, mine is almost the opposite. I love saying stuff, apparently so. And what I wanted to offer has to do with vacation. I'm not sure if it's appropriate, but I wanted to... I'm going to Ireland for three weeks. Very lucky. And I'm, if that's okay, I'm going to put my email address in the chat. And if anybody would like to receive a postcard, because I love writing postcards, pleasure... Um, I write a postcard, and that's that's what I have to say. Great. So, and um, so I'm just gonna put that email address in the chat. Okay. Is that okay? Is that or is that? Uh, that's fine. Yeah, it's quite easy. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Totally. So I said at the time of not. A lot of people traveling, at least in Europe, so maybe people love receiving postcards. Yeah, and if you uh, do you send it, uh, Tolan, can uh, Anna just send that to everyone? Yeah, I did. Okay, okay. that's it. Great, and, and the main thing is notice notice your pleasant experiences in Ireland. Oh, yes, I'm going to practice. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, sounds wonderful. I, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a country of a lot of pleasurable experiences just by walking around. Yeah, no, I, I, I've never been there, but I've, I've wanted to go. Yeah. And uh, particularly the West Coast sounds really amazing. Oh, no, it's, it's such a fascinating country. It's very friendly. The nature is amazing. Um, people are really curious. And a lot of things I like. Yeah, yeah. And so um, if you get a a postcard from Anna, and it's pleasant. Just notice that. Well, hopefully it's not unpleasant. That would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, thank right. you. Thank you so much. Cool. Okay, maybe time for one more. If anyone would like to share or ask a question about the teaching, please, uh, Holly. Hi. Um, this is about what you said about Velcro and Teflon. Yeah. Um, recently, I was thinking about something that happened years ago for me, which is I lost my husband when we were very young. And um, mm -hmm. I always felt incredibly sad and regretful and kind of like a failure that I couldn't keep him from dying of cancer. And then yeah. I was able recently to remember how present I was as a partner through all that. And I hadn't been able to look at that part at all. Mm. And by looking at how present and um, loving we were and we were at the end of his life, it shifted the whole experience for me. Mm. So um, that was, yeah, lovely. Right. And Holly, you're saying this was happening just in the present moment today? Yeah. My, my changing perspective of it has changed, is uh, re recent. Uh, yeah. In the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, right. So really, in, in that sense, looking at loss, and again, and we may, I think this is true for many of us with loss, that uh, we just categorize it as negative, right? Uh, when, when in actuality, there was a lot that was very beautiful and positive that, you know, tended to not focus on, right? That's that's what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it was great to get that part back. Hmm. Right. That's, that's, uh, that's powerful, isn't it? Really. It and, was. And it's really just it's... an invitation to look carefully 
and see, you know, see whether, because the, the Velcro, you know, the, Vel, the Velcro and the Teflon are, they come with reactivity. They're kind of automatic reactions. And the invitation is just to look and see what's there. And even with a loss, one can notice some really uh, positive things that, you know, I, I've noticed when I've explored grief, for example, that there's always been kind of mixed in with the grief. There's been gratitude and uh, mm. quite, you know, quite wonderful dimensions. It's not mm. just, it's not just one thing, you know, yeah. and, and that, that's been very, very interesting to, to look at that carefully. And again, if we're being reactive, we won't, we won't look so carefully. We'll just go with a, we'll go with a narrative, which is more like a thought, not actually going into the experience itself. And so, the invitation is just to look carefully and remembering that we want we get good at this by looking into the experiences which are kind of in the workable range. The you know on my scale of one to ten, going into the fours and fives and sixes, not going right away to the nines or tens. We we get good at this by looking at the pleasant or unpleasant experiences that are first in the middle range, and then we get better at the more intense experiences. Yeah. So thank you, Holly, for being really willing to share that. That's that's very meaningful. How many can relate to that in some way from your own experience, something similar? Yeah. yeah thank you. So I could keep going even if no one would say anything more, but uh, we're we're at time. And so let me let's finish by Again, going back just briefly to our intention for the next uh, week. What will help me to remember to look at pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, praise and blame. And then we finish by with the uh, dedication of merit. May our time together be of benefit to us and then directly and indirectly to be of benefit to those in our own lives. And then may the benefits extend beyond our own circles out into the world for all beings. May our time together be of benefit to all beings, which includes us. So thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for, it's great to really have a sense of a community. So many people that I recognize and until next time. And you can, if you want to Thank unmute, you. you can just join in and talk Thank with you. everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. 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 Have a good time in Ireland. Bye. 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 Till next time. Bye. Thank you, Tolan. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.